We gotta go. Let's get into it. John 12 is Passover minus six days. Welcome to Timberwood Church. We study an ancient book that proves its worth not only in terms of scholarship, but to its relevance in every age in which it has been examined. It's pretty cool, actually. It's why we say that this is our standard for what to believe and how to behave. Most notably, the teachings and life of Jesus. Page 898 is where you're going to want to find yourself today. I want to like, I'm looking for compliance today. I'm looking for involvement. I'm looking for like, okay, so like, could, do you think we could get like 25% of the people that would actually open the book today? Can we do, can we do that? Could we, could we get to 50? Could we, could, so we get to 75? How about 84? Could we get to like 90% compliance, Okay. Compliance sounds so hard, right? Like, we are, you're making me open the Bible, actually. So, okay, so just a couple things, right? First 11 verses, okay? Here are some things that you'll want to listen for. The first 11 verses have this clear distinction between those who follow Jesus and who show their true heart and those who don't follow Jesus and how they show their true heart. So as we read the first 11 verses, keep that in the back of your head. The distinction between the two groups of people could not be more clear. Bethany is a couple miles from Jerusalem. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are serving Jesus. They're giving their best to Jesus. Lazarus, happy to be back on earth. Or was he? Lazarus dies, goes to heaven. All of a sudden, I'm back on earth? What? I mean, I wish the text would address that. It doesn't. The 11 ounces of perfume, okay? The value is, is described as 300 denara, uh, denarii, and, 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 and we kind of miss that, okay? We kind of miss that, even if we hear that one denarii is, is, a, is a day's wage, okay? The functional equivalency of this gift, okay? The average salary in the United States of America is $51,000 a year. The median salary is $34,000 a year. The value of this gift is if you were to give a gift that would be between $34,000 and $51,000 in one shot. Okay? So, so this, is, this is a big gift. Even for people with big money, a $51,000 gift is still not Trump change. Judas Iscariot is also mentioned. Imagine knowing you have a traitor on your team. Judas Iscariot, the chief priest, their thoughts are of embezzlement and murder. They want to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Yep, Lazarus. Lazarus was the proof of everything that was bad. It is a sick, twisted reality that they're living in. When thoughts of personal advancement, thoughts of retaining power and influence are elevated above the call to follow Jesus. Listen, first 11 verses. Six days before the Passover... Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Great question. 
he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The second chunk of verses really articulate the Palm Sunday experience. But before we get there, do we allow Scripture to speak to ourselves? Both sides are remarkably consistent. The distinction between those who follow Jesus and show their true heart and those who don't follow Jesus and show their true heart. The text always, this book always invites our participation. That's what gives us such great legs over history. Where is our true heart? Where is my true heart? Is my true heart aligned with the call that Jesus places on my life? Or something else? And it's hard. It was hard in the first century. It's hard today because there's all this noise, right? It's hard when people all around us are manic or unhinged. It's easy to think that the response that we have is not normal. But the standard for normal is the call that Christ places on our lives. Where is our heart? The next set of verses, some things you'll want to listen for. There's this word, Hosanna, which literally means give salvation now, okay? It's a perennial cry for an occupied land and an oppressed people. It's one of those moments, okay? Hosanna is like, could use a little help here. You know, it's kind of like, I'm not a great weightlifter, not a great weightlifting mind, um, but uh, have to do bench press every once in a while. I hate bench press. Like any other weightlifting thing, okay, I can throw the weight off my back, I can choose not to lift it, but you take a bench press off the bar, and then you lower it, and you're like stuck, right? Because that's what happens to me, because it's not really thick from here to here. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like stuck, and I'm like, David, I need some help, you know, and I found, that's the essence of Hosanna. Save us. Give salvation now. Another thing you'll want to be listening for, verse 14, cites Zechariah 9.9, Jesus riding in on a donkey. Now, a donkey isn't the strongest statement one could make. A horse would have been a better statement. A chariot would have been really cool. An elephant, if Jesus had come in on a boss elephant, I mean, it would have been like, whoa, this guy is the deal. Even a camel. A camel would have been better. About the only thing more budget would have been a goat. 
The people who are with him are the same people who saw him do the Lazarus bit. And they're like, do that again. I mean, I was there. Dude was dead four days, came walking out, probably more of a shuffle, looked a little restricted. But the people who are there want to see Jesus do something amazing. And then the Pharisees. The Pharisees will offer their own commentary. They'll say how the whole world has gone after him. Well, not quite yet. But certainly we want everyone in the world to hear about him. And the Pharisees do get this sense correct. With all of the folks in town for the Passover, this story will be spread widely across the empire in just a few weeks. It's called word of mouth or TikTok. John 12, verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world, the whole world has gone after him. It's an artful expression, right? This point in time, uh, some commentators would argue that there were upwards of 2.7 million people in Jerusalem for the Passover. Not quite sure how they get to that number, so I have with a grain of salt. But it's a big group of people that are going to witness the work of God. The last chunk of verses, 20 through 50, it it is all here. We're going to take this in three bite-sized chunks, right? The totality of the work of Christ. I mean, if there's a lot of chapters in the Bible that are like this, okay? There's a lot of chapters in the Bible that if you only had this chapter, this would be the only chapter you would need to know Jesus as your Savior. And there's a lot of chapters like that in the Bible. The Bible is remarkably consistent in in repeating this theme of the importance of Christ in our lives. And this is what, everything is here. For the first chunk of verses, verse 20, we're going to talk about the Greeks, the non-Jews. They want to hang with Jesus. This Jesus idea is about to spread really fast. And it's not something that is just for one ethnic group Not for one language. 
Verse 23, the Son of Man is going to be glorified. When I hear glorified, I think glorified rice. I grew up with glorified rice, cream, Cool Whip, rice, canned fruit, marshmallows, a maraschino cherry on top. That was the closest we came to drinking in our house growing up. (laughs) It's not that. It's death. Death is the gateway to this signature achievement of being glorified. He has to go through that door first. It is so different than how the world thinks. Verse 24, unless something dies, something else can't live. This is a true thing that we've talked about over and over and over and over again. We've repeated, we've picked on vegetarians, but even for you vegetarians, the vegetable still has to die for you to live. Okay? Something has to die for something else to live, and it comes from the life of Christ. Jesus uses imagery that any grain farmer would understand. You put one seed in the ground, many seeds grow out of that. Verse 25, love your life, then you'll lose your life. Hate life in this world, then you'll keep it for eternal life. The imagery is super, super strong. The reality is plain. The physical is temporal. That which is not physical is eternal. Invest in the eternal. The temporal is going to go away. Verse 26, want to follow me? Want to serve me? Then follow me. The challenge, again, is profound. There are a fair number of folks, both in that day and in this day, who would identify strongly with Jesus. They would say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But don't follow Jesus in any demonstrable way. In fact, it's perhaps one of the saddest things about Western Christianity for me. There are many who would want to say, Jesus, yes, he's my guy. But very little followership. And and it's not enough to say, Jesus is your guy, if I'm not going to follow him. Saying Jesus is my guy and not following him doesn't really do me any good, literally. Verse 27, again, we talk about the pain of Jesus' experience. He asks what some argue is a rhetorical question of being saved, and then he answers his own question. No, this is my purpose, to fulfill what the Father wants. And then in verse 28, He's explaining this to a bunch of people, and God speaks. The text describes it, that some people said it sounded like thunder. Other people said it sounded like an angel. Jesus said, it's the Father. It might be the fulcrum of the entire chapter, It is certainly the second most important thing that is said in these 50 verses. Listen, starting with verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feasts were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now check this out. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, and others said, and the angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. If we heard the voice of God, would we listen? And what might the voice of God be like? In the next chunk of verses, you'll want to carefully listen for these themes. Verse 31 is this idea of judgment. The ruler of the world is being cast out. There's these themes of light and darkness. There's a question that I almost always ask encountering a verse like this. Why is there so much evil? Part of it is I think that we don't realize how much the bite of fruit in the Garden of Eden wasn't so much a snack as it was an atomic bomb going off. And since that original sin, God has been working to bring order out of the chaos ever since. The Bible describes evil and sin and Satan as a predictable and frequent antagonist to creation. Verse 32, Jesus talks about being lifted up. And by that, he's referring to the crucifixion, that he will draw all people to himself. The world would have misunderstood this. They would see Jesus on the cross as a curse. But the Father would have said, no, it's where I want people looking. I want people looking to Jesus. Verse 34 talks about the eternality of the Christ. Who is the Son of Man? God, Jesus is about to answer. And again, verse 34, 35 rather, is this light, dark theme. Light versus dark. The light is among us. Jesus identifies as the light. And again, I think part of the problem we have coming to grips is how dark the real world really is. Again, it's not a snack in the garden. It was a catastrophic pan-creation-affecting event. And there is this battle between light and darkness. Verse 36, believing in the light, absolutely critical. And then he's gone. Jesus is gone. Doesn't take questions. Just a mic drop. Jesus out. 
And they still had not put it all together. And then John quotes the prophets, Isaiah. But some had figured it out. But still there was no confession, which is very intriguing. It might be the third most important thing in this text. A group of people came to the point of realizing that Jesus was very, very special, very, very unique. But they're not willing to confess, which Paul will argue is very important in the book of Romans. Listen to the next set of verses, starting with verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Jesus is talking basically this whole time. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus replied, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons and daughters of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them, though he had not done so many signs, though he had done so many signs before them. They still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And now listen to this verse. It's absolutely critical. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The last six, seven verses are rich, rich stuff. Listen thoughtfully to these things. Verse 44, along with verse 36, which we've already read, might be the most important thing in this text. The words of Christ given by the Father are the key to eternal life. Everything else is just packaging. Verse 44, belief in Jesus equals belief in him who sent Jesus, i.e. the Father. Verse 45, seeing Jesus equals seeing him who sent Jesus, i.e. the Father. Verse 46, Jesus as light, believing in Jesus is escaping darkness. Verse 47, for everyone who's like, don't judge me, Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to judge anyone. I'm here to save people. But we do judge ourselves whether or not we like it or not. Jesus is offering salvation through himself. That is the standard. And if we don't meet the standard, then you don't qualify for the event. If you want to run Boston Marathon and you're 55 years old, you've got to qualify with like a 315 or 320 or 330 marathon. 
If you don't meet the standard, you don't get to run in the Boston Marathon. They just did it like a couple days ago, didn't they? We, I think we had a couple people that went out and did it. Verse 48. It's end-loaded. It's the ultimate final exam. It's cumulative in nature. Verse 49. Jesus is working on authority from the Father. Verse 50. This thing has the weight of eternity. It has the time frame of forever. Listen. John 12, 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This is the line between death and life, folks. This is where we pin everything on. Identity with Christ or rejection of Christ? Identity with Christ or identity with the world? Identity with light or identity with darkness? It is, it's, it, this is critical that you know this. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. Jesus is saying this. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The heart of Christ the one who rejects me does not receive my words, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And with that, Jesus starts Holy Week. We journey together this week. If you want, you can join us on Wednesday night for our regularly scheduled Wednesday night activities. Then on Thursday night, Monday, Thursday, which Eric suggested, is this reflective, contemplative service that really focuses our minds and our souls on the reality of the death of Jesus Christ. And then the weekend, the celebration of the resurrection. And between now and Wednesday, if you wanted to, you could read John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Not hard to do, but they're the words that Jesus spoke in the week before his death, which was Passover minus six days. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you. Our hearts turn to the reality of what your son was willing to do. The contemplation of which blows my mind. But I can stand in gratitude. Because Jesus is the dividing line between light and dark between life and death, between eternal and temporal. And for all of us, may we be reminded of Jesus' words, I came to save. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, 
maybe in the quietness of the moment, you would just cry out to a holy God and say, Maybe you'd just turn your heart 